Hi, everyone. Robin Sills from St. Mary's Hospital, Trinity Health of New England. And um, we are definitely happy that you joined us. Um, And we are finishing out the month. We have talked a lot this month about Breast Cancer Awareness Month as October is Breast Cancer Awareness. And we thought we'd end the month uh, talking a little bit about um, breast cancer um, in men. Um, Although it's rare, men get breast cancer. Um, And it's super important to know that one out of every hundred breast cancers diagnosed in the United States are found in men. And that is out of this off the CDC website. And I have with me tonight, very fortunate to have with me tonight, Dr. Philip Corvo, who is our chairman for the Department of Surgery at St. Mary's Hospital. Hi, Doc. Hey, Robin. Hey, everybody. How you doing? Very good, thank you. How are how are you? So, you know, Doc, I'm so excited that you reached out to me um, and you wanted to talk about this, but I want the audience to know a little bit more about you because I had the fortunate opportunity to meet you. I think you started at St. Mary's 2013? Uh, yeah, that's, that's right. So it's I actually came back to St. Mary's in 2013. Yes. So we came back yep. at this. I came at the same time, came back at the same time we were starting. Mm-hmm. And, um, right. you know, you have an incredible ped- pedigree because, you know, you're accomplished in general in laparoscopic surgery. But with the robotic surgery, you're actually a proctor for our intuitive, right? Who is the maker of our Da Vinci um, robot. Yes. And that's yeah, really after for years. Yes, and you know, you brought you brought that technology to St. Mary's Hospital and I remember being really excited about that um as I started my journey back at St. Mary's and you were there learning and it's just an incredible technology and you've been at the forefront at it. You were actually the first surgeon in New England to perform the first single incision robotic uh, cholecystectomy, I believe. Uh that is that is correct. Yep. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, we, we sort of, um, did, we did a couple of shows about it when I first, when I came back here. We did. And I wanted to be sure that the audience, you know, knew that. And you've taken on such a leadership role, particularly regionally for Trinity Health of New England and really growing our incredible pedigree of physicians that have joined us. And we owe that all your to your leadership and i i just wanted to re-educate um the audience on on how you've been instrumental in putting saint mary's at the forefront thank you that is so so sweet of you um you know the the thing about about saint mary's and trinity of new england is the the team effort that everybody has uh you know i don't feel like i have to uh you know round people up to get them to do things they already they already all know the right thing to do and I, I see my job as basically just trying to make it easier for them to do what they already know is is the right thing. And we, we do fantastic work here. And it's, it's, it's such a it's such a family atmosphere. And I, you know, I feel like, you know, when I when I look at where we've you know, where we were and where we've come and we know we have more accomplishments to to um, try to achieve that the team that's at the core of it yourself and you know Joan Thompson who is our director of uh, department of surgery everybody around her in the leadership team we really work you work hard you all work hard to make sure that we provide that quality care here in the city of Waterbury and I you know I have physicians that tour the hospital a lot and I feel mm-hmm. like yep. they're blown away by St. Mary's. 
they are. It is a, uh, you know, it's like a little hidden gem. Mm-hmm. Um, when, when surgeons come to us from other hospitals, you know, to work here, they are amazed at how how well things function. The OR is, uh, you know, like a well-oiled machine. Joan pulls off miracles on she a does. regular basis. Like no matter what kind of surprise comes our way, you know, she, she just smooths it out and everything everything works out. And everybody has everybody's back. That's okay. that, It's beautiful the way that works. It really is. And I, next month, um, I'm going to have one of our newest surgeons on with us, Dr. Stefan Kachala, our thoracic surgeon, who um, came to us from another institution. And mm-hmm. he's the one I'm going to use as an example to say he was blown away yeah. and is in yeah. love with St. Mary's. Yes, And he's been a lot of places, you know, for his training. And he goes, it's just, it's amazing to me. So, you know, we should be really proud um, in this area to to have such a facility. So on to our topic, and, you know, enough about me with my passion here about our (laughs) hospital. Um, But you came to me to talk a little bit about um, male breast cancer. And I'm really excited that you opened that door for me to to uh, let you come in because, you know, we always do Breast Cancer Awareness Month topics and our breast surgeons are incredible. Dr. Beth Sealing, Dr. Nicole Sukan, and of course, Dr. Polakoff, who, who will be uh, retiring in the future, but we are having a new candidate. But they've always Correct. been really great um, to come in here and, and really support this. And I've never had anyone say to me, you know, I really want to take the topic and really talk about male breast cancer. So why, why was that why was that that you reached out to me to talk about it yeah um so i I think it's important to realize that there are diseases that people know that exist but they don't talk about them Mm. so they they tend to stay in the background and then what happens is when somebody thinks they might have an issue they don't know who to go talk to um you know these days they go on the internet and they they may get good information they may get bad information um, but if we can talk about it and let people know, you know, the people who are listening, let them know, hey, this is actually a real thing. It's not in your head. There's nothing to be embarrassed about. Mm-hmm. Oh, and, and by the way, if you pay attention to this and get it dealt with early, you can probably do very well. But if you sit on it for too long, you may not do so well. So I, I want to make sure that people know that this exists and that there's plenty of options to uh, to explore if they've got concerns. And even if they just have you know, questions. It's right. much better to ask those questions, get the right answers, than to let them linger in the back of your head or just, or just you know, ignore it. Absolutely. So yeah. when we when we bring um, our breast surgeons on, we talk a lot about signs and symptoms. So you know, mm-hmm. signs yep. and symptoms for female breast cancer as compared to male breast cancer. Are there differences? Yeah. And you know, what can we speak to for men? Yeah, so the, 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 when we say a sign uh, and a symptom in the medical world, mm-hmm. uh, a symptom, is, a symptom is, is specifically something somebody complains about, like, mm. like I have pain. Mm. Um, a sign is something that you can see or you can feel like, like a lump. Mm. Um, and over time, as our imaging has gotten better, our mammograms, our ultrasounds, our, our MRIs, as those things have gotten better, the the signs and the symptoms of breast cancer, specifically for women, have, have almost sort of fallen into the background because mm-hmm. now, you know, women who are at risk end up getting mammograms every year. And if there's something that shows up, it's, it's like literally microscopic at that point. 
Whereas, you know, 40, 50 years ago, we didn't know that cancer existed at that level. And you'd almost have to wait for a rock-hard lump to sort of show up. So the, the lump that a woman might get and a lump that a man might get, basically it's a lump in a breast and it should be examined. Mm. A pain is something that should be examined. The thing is, you know, women get mammograms, so we catch their breast disease earlier. Right. Men don't get routine mammograms. We don't right. get routine ultrasounds. So what we end up sort of having to wait for is, hey, you know, something hurts over here, uh, or I feel, you know, a lump over here, whether it hurts or not. Um, and while I'm talking about lumps and hurting, it's it's a bizarre sort of thing in that, it's easy to assume that, oh, here's a lump and it hurts, so it's bad. And that, that usually goes together, ends up being like an abscess, an infection, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but then we sit there and think, oh, it's only a lump. It doesn't hurt, so it can't be bad. And the thing about a lot of cancer tumors that you, you, know, you can feel on the outside of your body, a lot of them just don't hurt at all. So if you think about it, the lump that hurts is more likely to be something like an abscess, which right. is which is bad enough by itself. Right. But a lump that doesn't hurt is something that really needs to get checked out because it's got a higher chance of being a cancer than a lump that, that does hurt. Um, and what happens is men feel a lump and then they just ignore it or they sit there and say, oh, it's just an ingrown hair until it gets to the point where they can't ignore it anymore. Meanwhile, it's you know, it's a it's a tumor that's been growing for a couple of months. Those are, those are the main those are the main differences. So also sometimes if a man gets swelling in one breast or the other or both breasts mm-hmm. which we call gynecomastias do do you sometimes attribute that to medications too? So you maybe have to go through your medication because I know some medications have that side effect. Yeah, that is that is absolutely true. So um the the male breast has some of the same components that a female breast has. We don't we don't have the ability to make milk, which is the the lobules. If anybody's ever been told they have a lobular breast cancer, that pops up in the the little sacs that actually make the milk. But but men do still have the ducts hmm. that would have carried the milk out to the uh, out to the nipple. Right. And the the tissue that surrounds them is still sometimes. Uh, responsive to hormones. So a typical scenario that you mentioned a couple of seconds ago is a a teenage boy Mm. who's going through puberty and the hormone levels are all over the place, including estrogen. Mm. A lot of people don't understand that men have some estrogen in their body. Um, And if the estrogen levels are high enough, it takes that, that puberty breast tissue that does exist in men and it makes it grow and now you have breast lumps on both sides um it, it would be very unlikely for that to turn bad but you can imagine it scares people absolutely but then but then there are medications that can interfere with the balance of estrogen and testosterone in an adult say a 50 or 60 year old right um and if if you're on any of those medicines and you start having this gynecomastia now you have to be more concerned because maybe it's just gynecomastia. Maybe it is a tumor. Right. Uh, if it's if it's on both sides, it's more likely to be hormonal medication than an actual tumor. Right. But it's still it's not something to to ignore. So a couple of things, you know, because men aren't getting screened because they wouldn't normally get screened. Um, mm-hmm. 
are there things someone should be aware of as a risk factor if you're a man? Like what would, you know, what, what would key you in saying, okay, let's look at your history or let's look at, you know, a risk factor that you're falling into. So if I'm, you know, if I'm male and I'm thinking about my risk factors, is there a checklist for men as there is for a woman? There, there is, but it's it's so much shorter. Right. We don't talk about how many children you've had or right. the first time right. in the period. Um, but family history mm. is probably the single most important risk factor for both men and women. Um, so if you're a male and you have a family history where, you know, your mother and her cousin and an aunt had uh, breast cancer, your chances of getting breast cancer are going to go up compared to your best friend who doesn't have any of that uh, family history. What the, about the, the genetic mutations? Do those apply to men? So they, they absolutely do apply to men. Um, and if, if somebody goes to the point of needing a genetic test because they have, let's say, a breast cancer, right. part of that discussion with the geneticist should be, uh, you know, this, this marker here also raises the chance for, let's say, your children, both right. men and women, to get uh, breast cancer down the road. And we're learning that more and more of these genetic markers um, raise the chances for not just one particular cancer, but like families of cancer. Right. Um, so when you talk about the, the BRCA gene, everybody understands that, that uh, not, not having the gene, but, but having a problem with the gene, having mm-hmm. a mutation with it increases your chances for breast cancer, but it also increases your chances for ovarian cancer. Uh, and there's some relationships to pancreatic cancer and right. other other syndromes raise your chances of colon cancer. As we learn more, we, we are, are better understanding these relationships between cancers that you would think have no connection to each other. So if, if, if a male develops breast cancer, we sh- he should definitely do the genetic screening because it could affect siblings, children, the same way as if it's a female? Uh, in general, I'm going to say yes. You know, everybody's a little different. Right. Um, but but absolutely, it's it's rare enough for a man to get it that it would sort of, you know, raise just a little bit more right. of an alarm. Yeah, I, I had Yvonne Ruddy-Stein on it, um, our mm-hmm. genetic counselor. Early. She is amazing. Right. And um, we did go down this road. And you're right that, you know, when it's a male... It's so rare, you know, whereas in women, they go through that whole process, you know, looking at your family tree and the whole thing. But mm-hmm. um, for a male, because it is so rare, it's probably an important thing to do. Yes, it, it's a lot easier to fall through the cracks. So right. it's, more Abs- important to, it's more important to focus on it. So how do you diagnose for a male? Would we do a mammogram? Would we do an ultrasound? Are the same sure. testings done? So what do we do? Yeah. So f- for the most part, the same testings are done because ultimately we need we need a piece of tissue to um, you know to prove that it is or is not a cancer. But then we also need to know things like the size of the tumor and how close it might be to things like your muscle. Because mm-hmm. if we're going to talk about treatment, the treatments may be different depending upon whether it's like like right up against the chest wall muscle or it's, it's further away. Um, the, you know, the biggest difference between the testing is that women get routine mammograms 
men don't get routine mammograms because in the end, our chance of having a breast cancer is so low, it's just not worth randomly screening us. But once a man does have a suspicion for a breast cancer because there's a lump that just shouldn't be there, um, you know, we can get mammograms. It's a little bit harder because our, our breasts are basically flat. So we may not get the same kind of, of picture. Right. Um, but if we can get that picture, then we get the exact same information that we would get from a woman with with uh, a suspicious mammogram. And, you know, maybe there's another lump. Maybe there's right. one on the other side. Maybe, maybe the lump that you're feeling is only something. And yet a little bit further away, there's these tiny little pieces of calcium that are also suspicious. And we can't, you know, we can't really ignore those either. What? Um, and then the, the, oh, go the ahead, ultrasound Doc. also the, the ultrasound also helps figure out things like size and shape and orientation. When a man develops breast cancer on one side, you know, when we do a mammogram, we do it on both breasts, right? So when yes. we get the testing done for the man, do we do the same so there's a comparison image? Yes. Right. Yeah, be, because the the radiologists talk about this thing called architectural distortion. Um, it, it's easy to talk about like an obvious lump that you can feel. Yeah. But but sometimes there's just this vague sort of fullness. Um, you know, if you've ever if you've ever really bumped yourself really hard and you get a black and blue, mm. when the when the black and blue goes away, if you rub that spot, you still get the sense that you know what there's a lump under there somewhere, but it's not a lump like you like you could feel a golf ball and say, oh, I I understand the size and shape of this. It's more just a a sort of blobular kind of thing. So if you have a mammogram of only one side, you don't know if that blobular kind of thing is something they've had for their whole life. Right. But if, but if you do mammogram on both sides and that blobular thing is on one side but not the other, now, now your suspicions have to go up. How, how prevalent is it for a man to get breast cancer on one side? And how worried would you be, I should say, about the other breast? Is he any more at risk than a woman would be to get breast cancer on the other side? Um, so, you know, the, the, the vast majority of the data that we have on breast cancer is yeah. based off of women right. with, with breast cancer mm. and, and what their ratios and treatments are. Because, because like we both have acknowledged, the, the, the amount of men with breast cancer is just so much less. Right. Um, it, it's probably about the same worry for a woman yeah sure Um, you know there's some sort of sayings that we we have in medicine and one of them is you know the 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 biggest risk for having breast cancer is already having had breast cancer which means you know it may come back right having it on one side does increase your chances on the other and it's it's probably about the same for men and women and you know in women and i i we i've always educated women on this and i know that um our breast surgeons have too that most things, most lumps that we find in a woman's breast, most of them are benign. Women are very susceptible to developing Correct. benign breast yep. tumors. But for men, I don't think it's as common to develop a benign breast tumor. If there's something palpable, more times than likely, it's something to worry about. That is that is absolutely true. So the, the reason, not the reason, but a common reason why women develop these benign breast lumps mm. is as they as they age and they literally have menstrual cycle after menstrual cycle the hormonal swings that go with those cycles cause their breasts chemically cause their breasts to be ready to produce milk if they get pregnant mm. 
And any woman whose breasts swell and get lumpy with their menses knows exactly what I'm talking about. Right. Now, now, once they don't get pregnant during that period, their breasts seem to go back to normal baseline, right. however you want to describe it. Right. But microscopically, they may not go back to exactly where they were before. Right. And if, if you do that over dozens of cycles, that little microscopic change may turn into something lumpy, palpable. And mm-hmm. you're absolutely right. The vast majority of the time, it is benign. The thing is, men don't have those hormonal uh, swings, those right. cycles. So we tend to not develop those benign, hormonal-driven, benign lumps. So if a, if a man has a lump, it's either going to be something like, like an ingrown hair, mm. um, which usually has that appearance of an ingrown hair. It's mm. red, it's angry. You, you, know, you almost want to pop it like it's right. a really bad pimple. Right. Um, we can get these things called sebaceous cysts, mm. which are very closely related to ingrown hairs. It's basically an oil gland that's been plugged up and sort of swells up like a little balloon. Mm. Um, if, if we get trauma, you know, any, anybody who's ever like lifted weights and dropped something on themselves and they get a big black and blue, uh, you know, for two or three weeks, there could be a lump there. And, you know, sometimes the lump never completely goes away. There's, there's this um, situation called fat necrosis where if you, if you take some fat and you, you hit it hard enough, it's sort of it sort of dies and turns into this scar tissue that that forms a lump and just stays there forever. Mm. So, so maybe they have that. Um, but the thing is, you don't know unless you check it out. Absolutely. Now, I guess, you know, for men, when you're making that diagnosis for breast cancer, first of all, I'm sure it's very concerning to you know anybody that comes male or male or female but for men it's a really hard thing to talk about so i'm i'm sure that we tend to see men later stage because they probably have ignored it you are absolutely right and and the saying that sort of goes along with that is stage for stage mm. men and women tend to do about the same mm. except that men almost always present at a later stage and when we talk about stages, we talk about things like how big is the tumor, uh, how aggressive is it from a chemical standpoint, uh, whether or not it's spread to the local lymph nodes or, or you know, any place else. So women tend to show up with very early stages because of mammograms. Um, you know, men, if you have a typical flat breast and a guy and you put a tumor that's the size of a, an olive or a grape, you can almost imagine that at that size, it's already pushing up against the muscle mm-hmm. and it's already pushing up against the skin. Uh, and that gives it a chance to spread so much faster because mm-hmm. it has access to a, to a new blood supply, to a new lymphatic supply. Right. And, you know, we see, you know, men that probably are, you know, fit and, you know, you can see the lump easier. But I'm sure someone who's just a little bit more overweight, it might even be hidden. Yes. And you yep. may not notice it for a while. Yes. So are the, are the types of cancers that we find in men different than the types of breast cancer we find in women? Or, and what are they? Yep. So um, women typically get two different, one of two different types, although there, there are like mixes and subtypes and stuff. The vast majority are called ductal cancers, meaning it starts out in the milk ducts, the tubes that would carry milk from where it's made out to the nipple. Mm. 
Um, the second most common type of breast cancer in a woman is in the lobules. Mm-hmm. So that will be called lobular cancer. Men don't have lobules, so we do not get lobular cancer as a rule. Um, I'm sure somewhere, somehow, you know, somebody ended up with it. But as a rule, men don't get lobular cancer. What we get almost all the time is ductal mm-hmm. uh, breast cancer. And then the treatment is exactly the same as it would be for a woman, um, you know, knowing that our breast size is different and the, the stage of the cancer dictates the treatment. So if we are going to present at a later stage, we already have a whole bunch of options that have been sort of taken off the table. Does it progress as fast because it's later stage? So, you know, in a woman, um, even if we catch her early, sometimes it really spreads because of the, sometimes it's fueled by the woman's, woman's hormones. Does that happen yeah. in a man? Not, not the same way. Right. Um, so one of the things about uh, estrogen is that it acts like a breast cancer fertilizer, mm. which, which means it doesn't cause cancer, just like I can't, I can't put fertilizer down on a driveway and expect to grow grass. But if I already have a cancer and I expose it to estrogen, the estrogen may make the breast cancer grow quicker, spread faster, that kind of thing. So if a woman is now postmenopausal and her estrogen levels have dropped, that, that same pattern of spread is, is different. She now has a, uh, the man is going to have a closer pattern and speed of spread to a postmenopausal woman, knowing again that he probably is going to present at a later stage than she would. So does that, does that make sense? Yes, it definitely makes sense. So let's, well, I want, before I come off of the types, there's one thing, mm-hmm. you know, saw in my career. Um, so didn't see a lot of it, but I'm just wondering mm-hmm. if it applies to men. But um, in related to um, the nipple, I, mm-hmm. we saw women with Paget's disease. Can you explain what that is? And does it apply to men too? Could it happen to men? It, it definitely can. So Paget's disease is usually considered ductal cancer of, of the nipple. Mm. Um, the, you know, if you picture these lobules as, as a, like, like literally like a bunch of grapes that would be in your, your, you know, your, your refrigerator, the, the grapes themselves are the lobules. That's where the milk is made. And then the little branches of the grapes that progressively attach to more and more and come to the main branch, those are the ducts. And then what happens is the ducts empty out to the nipple, and that's where the milk comes out. Anywhere along that duct, you can have a ductal cancer start. And if it starts deep in the breast, it may show up on you know, a mammogram. It may show up as, as a lump. But yet it's so deep that the overlying skin looks and feels fine. You can imagine if the duct right at the, at the, the edge of the nipple starts to have a cancer in it, the nipple itself starts to change starts to look different maybe the nipple is uh you know very swollen compared to the other side Hmm. maybe the skin looks like it's it's constantly irritated because there's literally a cancer you know pushing up against it and growing you know and growing through it Hmm. men can get the pagets um but again we present you know later right yeah what what is the treatment so we talked a bit about 
it's true. You know, we do the same thing, how we would treat Mm -hmm. a man and a woman. So, you know, based on what you see, some women do get lumpectomies followed by potentially radiation, usually radiation therapy, if they have a lumpectomy or they choose to have a mastectomy. What, because a man's breast tissue isn't as large as a woman, what, what do you see more? What is normally the course of treatment? Yeah. So out of, out of like every cancer that we treat, breast cancer has changed the fastest. Mm. Uh, we're constantly learning new tests to figure out aggressiveness and, and better ways to treat it. So the, the single most thing, the single most important thing, and I teach this to my, my residents and med students all the time, with very few exceptions, the tumor itself that you're looking at, the thing that everybody's focusing on, is not the thing that's super dangerous. The thing that's super dangerous is, has it already spread? Mm. And that's important because you can take two, you can take two people, you can take twins. One of them have a local cancer that hasn't spread anywhere. The other one have the exact same local cancer, but has spread somewhere. Mm. And you can do the exact same surgery for both of them. And the surgery is going to be fine, but the person who's already had the cancer spread is literally not being treated aggressively enough. Mm. So one of the things that we need to do first for both men and women is these these whole body tests to decide if the cancer has spread somewhere or what, what the chances of it might be. So the treatment is pretty much exactly the same once, you know, once we know that there's a cancer there. Um, we do these things called CAT scans, uh, CAT scans PET scans, uh, there's blood tests that we do um, because if there's if there's evidence that it has spread, maybe the thing to do is say, you know what, you actually need chemotherapy first mm-hmm. because it's it's really that little spot that shows up in the liver that we're really worried about. And if we give you intravenous chemotherapy, it's going to go after the thing in the liver, and it's also going to go after what's ever in your breast. So it's right. not like we're it's not like we're ignoring the breast. Right, it's shrinking Whereas, it. It's shrinking. It's shrinking it, right. Yep. And sometimes it shrinks it to the point where like you can't see it afterwards mm-hmm. and the pathologists can't even find it when we you know when we finally do the surgery. Right. Um so so if you're worried that it's already spreading, um frequently the chemotherapy starts first. Sometimes there's there's hormone therapy and then there's there's the surgery. Um if you're going to talk about the surgery part, um there's really only two different surgeries that we talk about for uh, for breast cancer, and, and you know, there's variations on each one of them. Right. Um, but you, but you hit on on the main one, which is uh, lumpectomy and radiation. Um, and I have to tell you, when I give lectures for this, my PowerPoint slide hates this because <laughs> I intentionally write lumpectomy and radiation as one big word, mm-hmm. no no spaces, because you need to do the two together. And the reason for that is the the ducts that I talked about before like spread throughout the whole the whole breast, and there could be little bits of cancer throughout the whole duct. And if all we do is take out the lump that we say that we that we notice, and we leave the rest of the ducts behind, maybe we're leaving microscopic cancer behind. So for the most part, just taking out the lump isn't isn't enough. So if there's going to be a lumpectomy, there's almost always radiation afterwards. The other choice of a surgery is to say, you know what, let's not leave any ducts behind. And that's when you talk about doing a mastectomy. And then regardless of whether you do the lumpectomy and radiation or the mastectomy, 
another question we need to ask is, you know, has this actually gotten into those lymph nodes in the, in the armpit and the axilla? Uh, and that's when we talk about doing lymph node dissections, something called a, a sentinel lymph node where you, you find the, the node that is most likely to be involved and take it out so that you don't take out a whole bunch of others that, that don't need to be taken out. So do you say most men, so let me ask you, in your experience, do most men choose to do, because really the breast tissue is not as prevalent as a woman, so it's really the decision sometimes a little bit easier for a man to make that mastectomy decision. Do you find they tend to do more mastectomies than they would do the radiation and the uh, lumpectomy? Yeah. Um, So first of all, because uh, I, I agree with everything that you said, yes. Um, because we tend to uh, present at a later stage, the tumor tends to Mm. be like bigger in terms of the ratio of the size of the tumor to the breast. And and there are some things that force you into doing a mastectomy. Um, you don't want to just take out a little lump if the tumor is already growing through the, the, you know, the chest wall muscle, you have to go after the chest wall muscle. You don't want to leave. You don't want to just do the lump if it's growing through the skin. So there's times when the tumor is so big, so big, which may only be, you know, the size of a grape in a man, that that the tumor itself is basically forcing you into doing the safest thing, which is a mastectomy. And then, even if it's a relatively small tumor, most men are not, um, you know, like emotionally and, right. and socially attached to having breasts and like just just get it off on a really kid. <laughs> right. Uh, and that's, right. And that's what we do. Now, now sometimes with men. Even if we do the mastectomy, the tumor was so close to like the muscle, they mm-hmm. still need radiation afterwards. But that's that's one of those things that you have to figure out person to person. But yeah, most most men end up opting either opting for it or being cornered into doing a mastectomy. You know, and I'm sitting here visualizing for the man how the lump occurs. And you're right. I mean, you know, a lot of women. I mean, it's not as close to the chest wall, especially if a woman is fuller breasted. Most time, it's within the fatty tissue of the breast or within mm-hmm. the duct. Yep. But for a man, because you don't have that size that a breast would be normally in a woman, you know, it's going to be closer to the chest wall. So you do run more of that yeah. risk, don't you? you? You absolutely do. You can, you know, think about it. You can take a uh, a tumor the size of a pea, yeah, and, abs- and absolutely hide it very well in an average size absolutely. female breast. Absolutely, you take that. You take that same pea in a guy, and yeah. all we need to do is like, like literally soap ourselves up in the shower, or mm-hmm. or put a shirt on just the wrong way, and and you know you bump into it, and you're like, what's what's that? Right. Yeah. Yeah, I you know I'm sitting here trying to visualize, and I'm thinking to myself, absolutely. So you know because it's so close to the chest wall. It, your 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 thought process too on on, e- on chemotherapy really doing that PET scan is going to be huge to see if it's spread. Yes. Right. Yep. And how yep. you're gonna and how you're gonna treat that. Yes. Now, one of the therapies that I hear a lot about now is immunotherapy. Can you speak to that a little bit for our audience? And is it something that's applicable that would be used for men too? Oh oh, absolutely. So. Um, you know, as I said earlier, the, the the treatments for breast cancer have changed more than any other cancer, mm-hmm. uh, and this is this is absolutely one of those areas. You know, at some point in the past, the, sur- the the only treatment was surgery, and then we said, you know, maybe we can throw radiation into the mix. 
and then we started learning about just chemotherapy. And if you think about chemotherapy, it's basically just here's a here's a, a controlled poison we're putting everywhere in your body in the hope that we wipe out the tumor and we don't wipe out too many you know good cells. The thing is that your immune system is usually smart enough to figure out that there's something floating around in your body that it doesn't it doesn't like and it goes after it and that's how we that's how we we get over things like the flu and if you did have covid you were you know lucky enough to get over it. The thing about cancer and your immune system is cancer is really your own tissue. So when when your immune system like literally when your immune cells bump up against it and say something like hey buddy show me your ID card so that I know you belong here they pull out the ID card that says yes I belong here and the immune system says all right sorry to bother you and just you know goes on its merry way the thing about these immune therapies and and there's, there's different types but we can take a person's immune system and basically say you know what don't ask for that ID card because it's it's fake. Ask for this other thing. Or uh, sometimes we take a piece of the tumor and we understand that there's certain markers that are on it that aren't on the normal tissue. And we, we turn around and we give that to the immune system, usually like the injection. And it's almost the equivalent of taking a picture of, you know, a, a criminal and handing it to the cops and saying, hey, I want you to go around the neighborhood and look for this exact person and, and you know, go after them. Uh, so the thing about the immunotherapy is it's so much better targeted against just the cancer and it doesn't damage all the healthy stuff around it. it it's so I find immunotherapy so interesting. And I know that um, you're involved, too, in our um our programs at the Lever Cancer Center, where we do our cancer conferences. Um, what is discussion there on the latest in treatments for breast cancer? I know they're doing a lot with markers, and I just think it's amazing how we match the chemotherapy to almost customize it to the person. That, that, that is literally what we do is we customize it. Um, instead of just saying, all right, here's, here's chemotherapy cocktail A, or here's chemotherapy cocktail B. Um, you know, before we come up with it, not before, but but early in the stages when we we have somebody with any any type of cancer, whether it's breast or or uh, colon cancer mm-hmm. or you know pancreas or prostate. Um, instead of just knowing things like the size of the tumor, we also know whether it has those estrogen and progesterone receptors. People may have heard about ER. Right. PR receptors. Mm-hmm. There's a, there's another kind of receptor called the HER2 new, that sort of is an indicator for how aggressive something might be, uh, and then and then there's a whole bunch of other uh, I'm, I'm going to say receptors that we we check for, mm. and you can literally sit there and say, okay, you have this receptor and that receptor, but you don't have that one. So here's the right here's the right you said the right word custom. Right. Here's the right yeah. customized medicine for you. Whereas the next person doesn't have any of these receptors, and, and there's three that we frequently look for. There's that uh, estrogen ER, progesterone PR, and the HER2 new. You know, somebody may have none of those. We, we use the phrase, they're triple negative, because right. all three are negative. Right. Those people have aggressive tumors, and we customize something more aggressively for them that we might not have chosen to give the first 
person that I mentioned. You know, I visualize this, you know, in my mind, and you go back to your chemistry, right? And you think of all the different formulas we had and, and what the equations look like. But in the simplest form, in my simple mind, because I was so bad at chemistry, so <laughs> bad, I relate that to my chemistry teacher in high mm-hmm. school, who I loved, but she had a heavy accent. And thank God she lost our midterms on the plane at Christmas to Afghanistan and came home without our, and we all got a B because that's the only way I passed that class. <laughs> oh dear. Oh yeah. That's, that's, that's I, even better than my, my dog ate all of your homework. It was so good. <laughs> I was so happy. But in my mind, I equate this match as almost like putting the correct bottle cap on the correct bottle and twisting it to a perfect fit where, you know, you can't mix up two bottle caps, right? So they line up with their threading and they screw on and it's a perfect fit. And that's how I equate what is happening in that room when you guys are looking at these tumors and there's that matching of the perfect therapy for the patient. That's a great way to think about the receptors that I've been mentioning because this receptor has a certain size and shape to it, and this drug is going to fit this receptor just like this bottle cap will fit this bottle, but not not that other bottle. Yeah, that's that's a perfect way to think about it. See, your teacher did a much better job than you thought. <laughs> yeah, it's taken you know, how many years? Forty some yeah. odd years. <laughs> um, for a man that has prostate cancer, are they more at risk for breast cancer? Because that's so such a hormone hormonally driven cancer. Yeah, there there are. Uh, genetic families of uh, pockets of prostate and breast cancer and even even pancreas cancer works in there yeah yeah and, and I, it probably goes it probably goes back to like our stages when we're, we're, we're when we're embryos and and things are developing and a a certain cell turns into something else and goes mm-hmm. goes this way and then its cousin goes that way and its other right. cousin goes that way and now they're all they're all still related to each other. Yeah, you know, just thinking about the men out there that are getting screened and, you know, there's so many men out there with, you know, elevated PSAs and they're constantly mm-hmm. watched. You know, yep. it's not a bad idea to make sure you don't feel anything in your breasts if you're being treated. Yes. Right? Yep, absolutely. Yep. Have you ever, Doc, I don't know, we haven't talked about it, but I've seen this in in my nursing studies uh, years and years ago, and, I've, and I'm not sure if we could speak to it now, but for men, and it's where a man has one X and one Y in their cells, and they're born with that Klinefelter syndrome. Do you remember that? Uh, I think that's XX, uh, XXY. Yeah, XXY, right, that genetic condition. Yeah. They're more at increased risk. I remember reading about that. And... D- is that something we would screen for? Uh, I don't. I don't think we routinely screen for. No, it, we don't. Right? We don't. But I can imagine that if somebody looks like they have Klinefelter's and they're tested and they're found to have it, mm. then we sort of go down a different route than just just screening. Um, you know, when we talk about screening, the thing that you try to do is you try to find a population that's at risk for a disease. Mm. And you try to come up with a test that's a combination of both safe enough and, and good enough. So there's, there's an age range for women when we start doing mammograms. You know, right. Think about it. You don't, you don't do mammograms in 12-year-olds. Right. Um, and, well, some places will still do mammograms on, like, 90-year-olds. Right. 
but but there's there's an age range for women where here is your most likely time to get breast cancer, mm-hmm. and a mammogram is very very safe. Let's 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 screen you with this. And the same thing with colon cancer. There's a there's an age range for people to most of the time. There's always exceptions. Most of the time, get their colon cancers. Colonoscopy is you know safe enough to say all right we're gonna we're gonna do it to this many people. It's safe enough, but it's also accurate enough where it ends up working out. That that's probably a little different than somebody who's got right. Klein filters, and, and now we go down a different route of, of testing. Right. So, you know, ma- mentioning age, and I didn't bring this up. Is there an age range where men are more at risk for breast cancer? Is it an older man, or can it happen anytime? Uh, it can. It can definitely happen anytime because the. Like I said earlier, the, the hormonal fluctuations that women have, men don't have. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think with almost any cancer, like anywhere in your body, right. as you get older, the chances tend to go up. And the reason for that is ultimately, no matter what kind of cancer you have, it, there, there's a genetic thing that happened in an individual cell, different, different from the genetic families that we mentioned before. And And what happens is a cell that's trying to reproduce itself because the original one is, is like literally burning out, right? It's been around for five years. It can't do its job anymore. Right. But, but the person it belongs to needs to live for another 50 years. That cell needs to make another copy of itself so that the person can live. And every time a cell makes a copy of itself, there's a chance it's going to make a mistake. Mm. And if that mistake is just the wrong mistake or a combination of wrong mistakes, the new cell is a cancer cell. So when you, when you think like that, you can imagine that as we get older, our chances for almost every cancer go up some some degree. Absolutely. So what I want to do right now is I want to bring together everything that we said and kind of give some last words on this. But then I'm going to take five minutes because I really want to toot the horn again of our surgical services and maybe talk about some some new things that we're doing or some things that you're excited about, sure. if that's okay with you. Oh, I love talking about our surgical <laughs> services and new great things we're doing, yes. Absolutely. So, I yep. mean, now that I have you, I'm going to yep. get the best out of you that okay. I can because you're hard to get. You're super busy. So, <laughs> when it comes... I, you can get me anytime you want. I know because I'll be out For the audience out there, I mean, you know, for me to be able to text our chairman of surgery and he literally texts me back within a second is amazing or calls me. What are you sending me? What? What? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Usually you do that. And you ever yeah. since the minute I met you, you were so. I know who's really in charge. Yeah, I'm in charge. <laughs> yeah, I know you, that. you talk to my husband. I know. <laughs> I have. Yep. So let's loop it back. So, you know, when we're talking yes. about male breast cancer, what is some of the most important things we want to share with the audience or let them take away from this? Yes, that, that's that's perfect. Thank you. So because men don't get screened like women, we have to screen ourselves. Mm. And the single best way to screen yourself is to pay attention to your body um, and understand what's normal and what's new. And the new things are things that you should pay attention to. And if it feels like something suspicious, you need to go get it checked out. And, you know, male cancers, you have prostate cancer, you have testicular cancer. The easiest thing is while you're in the shower, check your chest, check mm-hmm. your testicles, mm-hmm. wash your hands when you're done, mm-hmm. and then you know go about your day. Um, and it's probably a good idea to pick 
uh, like maybe the first of the month so that you do it in like every month mm-hmm. and just, just examine yourself. And if mm-hmm. you feel something, you, you can't be ashamed of it. You have to realize that if there's something there, your best weapon against it is to have it checked out as soon as possible. Absolutely. Absolutely. You can't, you can't put a price on how early we need to find something. Yep. Yep. Exactly. So I know that we're growing by leaps and bounds. I, I was just telling Johnny when I came into the studio, my head is swimming. I was at St. Francis all day today. Um, I was at St. Mary's all day yesterday. I'm back at St. Mary's tomorrow. And between our Connecticut market, I can't even think about Massachusetts. Thank God I have a liaison that's out there right now. There mm-hmm. is so much growing um, in Trinity Health of New England. But at St. Mary's Hospital, what are you excited about and what's to come? Yep. Uh, so there's lots of things that we're doing right now that I'm really excited about. Um, I know that you're going to be talking to Dr. Kachala and thoracic mm-hmm. surgery next. So yep. I'm very excited about having him on board. He's bringing some new techniques to the area, but but I don't want to steal his thunder. I'll let him talk about that. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> uh, in terms of the breast world, we just brought on uh, an absolutely fantastic uh, plastic surgeon who specializes in breast reconstruction. His name is Dr. Wes Cohen. He comes to us from New York. Um, so he, because he specializes in breast reconstruction, both cosmetic and for cancer, uh, having him work with our incredibly well-trained and skilled breast surgeons, um, we're offering the, 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 the same sort of level of you know, breast cancer care as you can get in Boston or, or New York. Absolutely. Uh, yep. And, and if you haven't had him on the show, I, I he was suggest that. he was on. Perfect. Yeah, him yeah. and Doctor okay. Sukan did a joint one. But he's going to come back oh, because dude. we're going to yeah. we did a webinar last night too yeah. on breast reconstruction with him. But um, he's yeah, going to come back uh, in a bit because I want him to also talk a bit about his um, cosmetic um, services, yeah. which is great. So yes. we're excited. Yeah. Yeah, that, that, that's, that's a whole new level of, of cosmetic surgeries that we can offer at St. Mary's. Uh, and, and think about it, you don't need to go into New York, you don't need to go into Boston. Absolutely. If you live, if you live down along you know, what people call the Gold Coast of, of Connecticut, um, you know, if you have your surgery down there, there's a chance you're going to bump into somebody you know. But, right. You know, come up, come up to us and have it. And <laughs> now you have it, and you recuperate at home. Absolutely, and uh, we're a low-cost provider too. Yeah. Just so everybody. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and and our um, uh, cinnamon raisin toast is is the best. as good as it gets anywhere. At the Absolutely. Um, another thing I'm really excited about. You mentioned before the you know the robot. We have got uh, two robots. Almost almost everything that you can do robotically, we we do robotically at St. Mary's. And we have gotten so good and so busy with it. You mentioned uh, me being a proctor before. Several of the surgeons at St. Mary's are, are proctors. Uh, and we even sometimes have uh, people from other companies that are trying to learn about the robot because other companies are, are you know, building their own robots, um, have you know, called us up and said, hey, you know, can, you, can you tell us you know, what works, what doesn't work, that kind of thing. Um, but we are using it so much that we are uh, actively pursuing getting another one um, because people are like literally just, we just have like lines of people waiting to have their surgery. Uh, we have lots and lots of people getting bariatric surgery. And, you know, we, we can only do so many at a time with, with X number of surgeons and X number of robots. So if we get another one, 
uh, I, I do hope we'd be able to um, you know, expand on that. Um, you did mention before that Dr. Uh, Polakoff is retiring. She she actually has retired. I already already miss her immensely. Me too. <laughs> uh, but at the same time, I'm very happy to say that uh, we have a signed contract from uh, another breast surgeon, Lisa Atterbury, who's in Delaware now, who will be coming up to join us. Uh, very very excited about that. Um, once she's up here, we are going to have the ability to create a very very high level uh, women's health center where we will likely have all of our breast surgeons and Dr. Cohen and the, the radiologists who specialize in breast disease all in the same building. It will be like a one-stop shop for, you know, for breast disease. Really excited about that. Yep. yep. Uh, we also have new uh, treatments for urologic diseases mm-hmm. like prostate cancer and things like um, uh, you know, kidney stones and kidney infections. Led by our our service line leader for the region, Dr. Paul uh, Moy, which we're very excited about. Dr. Moy is, we are really incredibly blessed that he joined us um, at Trinity Health of New England, and he is now our physician leader for urology regionally, which is a big coup for us. So we're super Mm -hmm. excited about that. All right, so I'm going to leave you off the hook because we have like just seconds left. So I'm going to asked to bring you back though um, for sure because I know there's more and more to come at St. Mary's and we definitely want to bring you back to make sure we provide updates routinely for our community on what we offer or are offering so Dr. Philip Corvo thank you so much for joining me tonight and we continue to look forward to your leadership for our growth thank you so so much and thank you for everything you have done and are doing for both St. Mary's and Trinity Health of New England. Oh, thank, thank you, you so much, Doc. Thank you. Talk to you soon. Probably tomorrow. Thank you. Yep. <laughs> Bye-bye. Yep. Definitely tomorrow. Take care. <laughs> Bye-bye. Thank you. So I want to thank everyone for joining us tonight. So that was Dr. Philip Corvo, our chairman of uh, surgery for St. Mary's Hospital, Trinity Health of New England um, Medical Group. We You can find him on our website, trinityhealthofne.org. Um, we have a ton of information on there about our breast cancer and our breast surgeons. Please visit our website. I will be back in two weeks with Dr. Stefan Kachala as we kick off a lung um, cancer awareness month, which is in November. Um, So talk to you soon. Have a wonderful and safe weekend. Take care.